FS Tech is where restaurants and tech connect. Discover what's now and what's next in food service technology and how it affects your business. Taking place from September 19th through 21st in Grapevine, Texas. Register today at www.fstec.com. How many restaurants does Subway need to close? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Trevor Haynes, the President of North America for the Sandwich Giant, to talk about the brand's future. Subway peaked at 27,000 locations in 2014 after decades of aggressive unit growth. Franchisees have been closing them at a rapid clip ever since, now down about 6,000 restaurants from that peak. Haynes, who served as acting CEO in 2018 and 2019 before giving way to John Chidsey, talks about the potential for more closures. But he also describes strategies the company is planning for both new locations and ways of increasing existing unit volumes, things like kiosks, vending machines, and catering. We also talk about the company's franchising strategy, most notably its push to get bigger franchisees, and the future of business development agents who act as master franchisees in specific areas and take on many of the duties of the franchisor, but which have been controversial in the way some of them deal with franchisees. It's a packed episodes on the podcast, so please have a listen. All right, I'm here with Trevor Haynes. Trevor, welcome to the podcast, sir. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Great to be here with you today. Cool. What's going on at Subway right now? You know, we have plenty going on. I think I saw you about a year ago. We talked mm-hmm. about some of the initiatives we had underway. And since that point in time, a lot has, a lot has played out in the, across the brand, across the business, obviously. And it's been really an exciting year. The last you know, 10, 12 months, very exciting. We spend a lot of time out with the franchisees. We call we have these listening tours that we, we go on. And actually, next week, I'm going to one in Charlotte and one in Iowa. And um, we spend, you know, we meet with franchisees and we talk about the business and we go to Subway restaurants and then we have like a happy hour with the franchisees and just socialize as well. And I have to say, these meetings have been very, very, well, very insightful. We get a lot of feedback from the franchisees. We see it could be between 20 to 40 people, depending on the area we go to. But very, so very insightful with feedback, but just the enthusiasm from the field it's certainly a great time to be in Subway. Franchisees are generally very optimistic. And, you know, they've got, got great questions. They may not agree with everything, but I would say eight or nine points out of 10, we're very aligned. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, a fun, energy-packed year, a lot happening and a lot yet to do. You know, some of the key things we've, obviously, from the big refresh 1.0, uh, which really, you know, got ourselves back into, you know, conversation out there um, from our food and, and brand perspective. And then just down to some of the work we're doing around, you know, we've got a huge catering launch underway. Uh, so that's been really good. We continue to remodel our restaurants, which has been really, really good. Supply chain at times does rear up, you know, and cause a, issues with, you know, franchisees trying to get new equipment or wallpaper, et cetera. But it is part of what's going on right around the world at the moment. But um, we're generally very optimistic about making further progress with that. So, yeah, a lot happening. I'm sure you've got particular questions you might want to lean into. So I, I don't want to just ramble on. 
which will probably end. I'll ramble on, that's fine. I'm fine with it. If we go half an hour and you just ramble on, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nobody needs to hear me speak. So let me let me ask, uh, well, on the supply chain issue you mentioned, so is that, has that been delaying some remodels? Has that been kind of causing some Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, so if you look at the subway business, you know, from franchisees where we're, you know, they're ordering, you know, you think of a restaurant, a remodel. So, you know, they're touching, you know, all the materials from wallpaper, paint, floor coverings, equipment, you know, at times there is just delay in supply chain. The items are being shipped from China. The item gets on a boat, the boat gets delayed at the harbour on the West Coast and it sits there and then it's got to get unpacked, et cetera. So, it, well, you know, it can add, you know, several weeks or months to the to the finish uh, of that remodel, but it's it's not something that's unique to the subway business. If you try to do something for your house, you'll probably find you've got significant delays just to get windows, for example. So, yeah, and we're working through that. You know, we've had about, I think about 6,800 restaurants are remodeled in the US or in North America. So we're making good progress. You know, we had, I think you're aware, we had a remodel grant that we issued for mm-hmm. our franchisees and about 9,000 locations took advantage of that. And out of those uh, 9,000, I think about 5,000 are, are done, right? So, and then the rest have got equipment ordered. <laughs> it's like getting those equipment packages now distributed across the US and Canada. That's, you know, and sometimes it gets a little bit sticky where it's just, it is delayed. So, but we're trying to prioritize obviously new openings and relocations, um, you know, where franchisees are down to a wire with a lease, et cetera. So constantly working with them and re- resetting the timelines and uh, working with supply chain, which is our IPC, which is the franchisee owned cooperative um, to really ensure that we get the franchisees what they need as quickly as possible. Because the remodels have been great for the brand. Franchisees get very excited by them. Their staff get very excited by them as well to, you know, have a nice, you know, fresh place to, to go to work in. So, yeah, yeah, tend to be an underrated uh, benefit to a remodel is what that does for, for franchise, for employee morale and, and, and You're right. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're chatting with a multi-unit operator, you chat with their staff, you ask, where would you rather work? And they'll, yes. 9.9 times out of 10, they'll say, I'd rather work in the new remodel restaurant, right? Unless it was right next to the, you know, there's something else going on. But yeah, staff get excited by it. And why wouldn't you? Like yeah. when you, if you do something in your house, you remodel your house, you go, why didn't I do this 10 years ago, right? So, yeah. Right, right. I should remodel my office. That may, would make its occupant more happy. So uh, <laughs> I want to ask about uh, catering quick, uh, because I think that's that's fascinating we we've seen a lot of we've seen a number of companies you guys included of course jumping yeah. back into the catering game as you think this is a good time to do that could you explain that a little bit what kind of the things that you're doing and yeah. what are your what's your hope for that sure so like subway has always had a catering proposition mm-hmm. right but the last time we really overhauled it was a decade ago but like it's some time ago that we really took a good look at all aspects of it so you know, and, and I think when you look at the Subway proposition, we've got a, a great product that travels well, it's universal appeal. So it's had that, um, you know, that proposition has been widely accepted and it's, very, it's been very popular, also very affordable. When you look at a catering package from Subway versus other locations, other brands, et cetera, you could say, well, Subway is actually quite affordable. Um, you know, it can actually, you can take care of a lot of people. Uh, et cetera, for the, with the price point. So we haven't, as I said, we hadn't done anything significant to it. We've tinkered with it along the way. Um, but this is, this is the first major overhaul in, in many, many years. And we've looked at everything. And the team that's on this program, working on this program, they really went out and they, they surveyed, you know, businesses and, and individual guests, et cetera, to find out what is that guest consumer business uh, looking for. So that's, that overhaul within the program has really taken that feedback into account. 
you know, and, and so as I said, everything from the, 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 the boxes we serve it in, the portion size that we're serving, whether it be individual or group, um, you know, how we present condiments, everything is, is really being looked at and it's, it's fed into that new uh, look and feel with platters and lunch boxes, et cetera, um, with, that are all available within the program. The other thing is that the team, we're signed up with the um, Easy Cater platform, which is, which is great. It's one of the you know, key providers for a catering perspective. And we see there's huge opportunity um, business to business, B2B, you know, across the US and Canada. You know, we're focused looking for a quick solution. They can go on to Easy Cater, they can order it, it can be delivered, right? It's, there's no hassle, et cetera, involved. So I so see you see a lot of opportunity there. I think we've got, we've got about 13,000 plus, 13,500 restaurants that are signed up to mm-hmm. easy cater so you think about this the size of this thing right that it really does provide a lot of coverage across um the u.s given that you know we've got a restaurant within you know five miles you know pretty much all the u.s population so um so yes there's huge opportunity um one of the we, we're also looking at some of the la- larger sort of business deals that could be done and you know recently we just did a, ma- a major deal with a, a national a national brand where for like a million odd dollars where I think they had to uh, take care of about 130,000 employees over, you know, 600 odd locations. So, you know, that's just, uh, you know, Subway was able to, you know, fulfill that order. And, and so we see a lot of, a lot of opportunities with the catering program. And as I said, we've had it, but we really hadn't focused on it significantly for some time. And so you'll see refreshed materials at the restaurants. You'll see obviously the EDK, easy catering platform, um, you know, POP, promoting catering, um, you know, at the restaurants and, you know, through other media channels. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's uh, going to be helpful for, for say, uh, locations that are in sort of office parks, business districts, those types of places that, I mean, imagine, you know, across the industry, those types of locations, and I know Subway is certainly included in that, those types of locations have been slower to recover because of, of uh, the relatively slow return to the office. But now we do start seeing people starting, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot more return to office plans and things of that nature, even though sometimes it's kind of tough to get people back into an office. I say yeah. that from home, but I mean, do you see that catering is, as something that could really sort of help that particular business? Well, uh, yeah, I do. And it does. And um, it, it, so it helps that type of business. Plus it also, you know, you'll find that, you know, folk are looking for catering just in the local suburb, suburban subway as well. Mm-hmm. But if I go back to your office park sort of question, you know, you see now a lot of employers are really trying to encourage employees to get back to the office, right? And one of the things that they're doing is providing breakfast or lunch opportunities for those staff to entice them back into the workplace. And we think Subway's a great proposition for a brand that wants to, you know, you've got a corporation, they want to bring people back to work. Maybe, you know, they have catering from Subway every two weeks or something like that. And that's just one of the options they put out for their staff to um, bring them back into the, the work environment so that they can collaborate together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Free food so does yeah. tend to work like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, getting big franchisees. That's one of the bigger, that's one of yeah. the strategies that you guys are, are, are looking at. What are you doing to bring those operators into the system? And how are you convincing them that Subway is a place they want to be? That's a, that's a good question, right? So I just want to, just before I go into that, you know, Subway has been very successful with 
you know, what we would say, um, one and two restaurant owners, some would say mom and pop, et cetera. Um, and it's been very successful. And we will always have that type of franchisee in the system. We are so vast. You think about some of the, the towns and locations across the US, they just lend themselves to a one and two restaurant owner. So I wanted to put that out there that we're not moving away from sure. that um, in entirety. But, you know, we also, there's, there's two strings to this, Jonathan. One is that we are, we've gone through our own portfolio of franchisees and looking at franchisees that are interested and, and qualified and able to grow. So we're also, so not only external MUOs looking at the brand, but internal we've gone through and identified some fantastic folk who have been in the system. It could be a couple of years or it could be a decade plus or more. And, and they're looking to grow. And we're saying, how do we help you grow? What area do you want to grow in? How do you, you know, where do you see your, yourself tapping out? What's the sort of, you know, the scale of the portfolio you want to operate? How you prepared yourself, you know, from a capital and staffing resource perspective. So we're doing that. That's been something that um, we've been pushing internally as well. And we've got some great folk in the system that are growing. There's one guy I can think of actually in your town there. He was a, he was a Subway restaurant manager only five years ago. And today he's got like 70, 80 restaurants. So, um, you know, and that's been phenomenal to see someone come up within the system and, and, and for that to play out. But back to your question around, you know, looking at MUOs from outside the system. So, you know, our team, uh, our development team is actually proactively looking at the industry, looking at multi-unit operators that have identified within other brands or have, you know, portfolio brands that are, that are looking to grow. And we're being proactive and reaching out to them, right? So, so we've, we're, we're taking that approach. We've been having, you know, we've got a small team that works on this specifically um, to, you know, introduce the Subway brand to those individuals or those corporations and, and, and really work through what Subway off, could offer for them. And um, so we've got that stream. And then within that, um, we've also worked with what you'd say our, our BDs or our subway market operation teams to identify franchisees. So the smaller franchisees that may want to sell, right? So we've got a lot of people that have been in the system 30, 40 years and it's, mm -hmm. they're saying, I want to retire, right? So, so how do we help them retire? Um, you know, we've been working through with the BDs and SMO teams to actually collect or create packages of restaurants. They could be 10, they could be 50, they could be 100 plus restaurants. They could be 30, 40, 50, 80 franchises within that franchisees sign up that they um they're interested in in engaging in such a program and that therefore the, then their restaurant is part of the group that is marketed to these um external MUOs so so yeah there's a lot happening around this and we've got some pretty exciting conversations taking place uh, at this point have we signed one of the larger deals no we have not but I would say within the next three, four months, we'll have a couple of them uh, within the system. So that will be that will be good. Um, and that will be, I think that will also bring further interest from external parties in. I mean, Subway, as you know, has, has been relatively a low cost business to get into. And, you know, from either, you know, purchasing or, and then even the remodels there, it's not extensive in terms of cost. So I think that, you know, you find that that's their key points as to what is interesting to an external uh, restaurant operator from another brand. You know, you can actually snap up quite a few subways, you can grow out your portfolio and, you know, there's a lot of momentum in the brand now. So, you know, from what we've done with Big Refresh or even down to some of the initiatives that we've got going, like catering we talked about, some of the stuff we're doing with non-trad, with grab-and-go, vending machines, you know, there's there's a lot that's that's happening there. That's exciting for folk that are looking at the brand. Mm -hmm. Usually a lot of these, uh, a lot of these large scale operators like to have market controlling or close, at least close to market control yeah. situations. I mean, how do you like get that? Cause you have such a, I mean, what is it? The average franchisee, what owns two locations? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
And so, you know, I mean, getting from, from there to, you know, getting some of these large scale franchisees would seem to be a really difficult proposition and take a long time. Yeah. I mean, what, what we've tried to do though, so you is to actually help them, um, I guess you could say, jumpstart with the collection of franchisees we've presented in the portfolio. So if there's 80 franchisees and maybe 150 restaurants, just say, in a market that we put together as a portfolio so that the buyer is not having to talk to 80 franchisees, right? It's just that one smooth transaction to make that easier for them. That's that's what we've been working on uh, facilitating. Will they control the market? No, but they would be the largest player by far in the market, right? So would we have, would we have signed a specific area development agreement with them no we would not have but in on the other side of that um, we may incentivize them to you know remodel or incentivize them to open more restaurants within the trademark trade area so <laughs> yeah there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside with this and you know we just see that this is a, a potentially a good way for those folk who want to retire out of the system um, to make it easier for them as well i mean the last thing an muo from outside the system is going to do is come and talk to 80 individual franchisees they're just not going to do it and so we're trying to be in the middle to, to marry this up and make it easier for all right so what, what what is the upside for the brand i mean i can probably guess i certainly do and this is sort of i mean this is a very it's a very common situation where we have legacy brands that go from small scale franchisees to large scale franchisees. It's, it's pretty universal and certainly nothing unusual for Subway. But what's the benefit to, to, to Subway? Yeah, well, I think there's a number of points. And as, as I said, we still have one or two small restaurant owners. That, that, that That's certainly part of the model going forward. But the benefit is you would look at just the amount of capital these individuals will bring, these organizations will bring into the portfolio, get remodels done upgrade equipment that needs to be upgraded and be looking at the next phase of growth as well, right? So we have a, an enormous undertaking uh, in front of us to reconfigure the market. You look at where we've been positioned, some of our locations, 30, 40, 20 odd years, et cetera. And those sites may have been fine, you know, some of them many years ago, but they need to be relocated. So having, you know, players like that with, from the NUOs from outside the system that are well capitalized and are just used to this type of, of play, I believe we believe we'll be able to move further with the market optimization, reconfiguration, um, and just brand standards and image across the um, across the across the US. Mm-hmm. What about business development agents? Wouldn't these those guys? That's one I've always wondered. Why wouldn't those wouldn't those folks be sort of a natural answer to that particular question? Maybe converting those to in into large multi unit operators instead. Yeah, that's a really good question. And you know, we have some, we call them, you know, business the business developers today, because we've yeah. changed the name a few times, but so the business developers that um actually that do exactly what you say, right? That you just uh-huh. mentioned. They are large multi-unit operators as well, and they've grown a portfolio and they're still growing a portfolio. And but uh, but then we have others that really they they may have one or two restaurants and, and that's it. They really don't want to go uh into the restaurant operations piece. So, you know, you look at it, the BDs that want to grow like this, we have encouraged and we do encourage. We want them if they've got that, you know, background, if they've got the, the whole infrastructure set up behind them, we want them to get after this, right? We've got, you know, large players out on the West Coast like this, in Nevada like this, et cetera, and a few other areas that, um, that have made, that run, they run great MUO businesses, but they're more so the minority, the majority of our BDs. Mm-hmm. What is the future of uh, business developers? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So, I, you know, we've been growing out our subway, we call it subway market operations, which is mm-hmm. more of the traditional franchise or franchisee sure. operation, right? 
So we've been growing that and we will continue to grow that in the US and Canada. We see though um, that we will have you know, a, a, a group of what you would think higher performing BDs also in the US and um, US in the US marketplace. We've got some great BDs who have really you know, worked extensively to drive the brand initiatives, work with their franchisees, develop their franchisees, et cetera. And we see them being in the system for many, many years to come. I mean, I don't know, in 20 years time, but right now we see, we see that as being part of the model, right? We'd have BDs, there'll be fewer BDs, they may have more restaurants underneath their area of influence, but we also will continue to grow out our SMO portfolio. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be sort of both. It, for the US, yeah, we'll have a blend of both because I, I really believe that the, the BDs, when they're more they're entrepreneurs, right, they will continue mm-hmm. to challenge a company operation every step of the way, right? So they will like, how can I jump higher? How can I go faster? How can I prove my benefit and worth? Because they're, they're in so incentivized to, to really, you know, the really strong ones are very much incentivized to, to, do, to run a great business. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's healthy to have some of those BDs in with the company operations and let both of them, you know, sort of push each other to be very successful and raise the bar. That's what we. That's what we want. Wouldn't it be more efficient to do it all with the uh, with the company, sort of like it a lot? Could, of- you could say that it, it may be more efficient. Yeah, we could we could absolutely say that. But I, I also do think those higher performing BDs will continue to move the move the bar, perhaps at a, at a greater pace than some of the company operations. Mm-hmm. It's just you would you would you would think the nature of the relationship would drive that. Right. Right. So how do you like the brand? So they were they've. So, I mean, is there, has their role evolved? Because, I mean, the brand hasn't really been adding units there. What, what do they do from, from, from that particular standpoint? Yeah, so a lot of their focus is what we, I spoke a little bit about before mm-hmm. in terms of market optimization. A lot of remodels, a lot of relocations, looking to reset their portfolio, consolidate their franchisees. How do they have you know, more qualified, capable, you know, larger unit operators, as well as some of the, the single unit operators, et cetera, within their portfolio and drive restaurant operations. We've got to be very much focused on driving operations. I mean, what the restaurant operations is really the biggest driver of guest frequency. It, it, it is down to that. You look at, you know, you can have a brand, obviously different brands, but you'll have a great, you know, great restaurant operator, it could be a single unit owner or multi-unit owner, and that they are, you know, driving brilliant operations, and probably weather the storm, et cetera, much more effectively than someone, you know, that is not. So, you know, with that's that's a key part of it. Drive operations, consolidate franchisees, reconfigure their markets, um, and ensure the initiatives that the brand, the strategies that the brand are bringing to, to life are executed down into the territories. Mm-hmm. You, you said you're, you, were, you were going forward with high-performing BDs. How is that... How are you measuring those? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. I mean, there are a number of metrics that we're looking at constantly, and and you like also we I was trying to you know we look very closely at what's happening in the territory, what was the baseline, what improvements are they making from how how are they delivering these strategies that we're we're bringing to life from the brand perspective, how what are they doing about MUO consolidation? You know, we can measure all of this. How are they? Uh, uh, reconfiguring their portfolio of restaurants, you know, and, you know, franchisees adopting the strategies that we want to bring to life. So, so that we, we're measuring this with, we're, we're working back through that with the, the business developers, they have business plans, we monitor those and yeah, we, um, we're taking, you know, that approach with them. All right, cool. Um, I want to, uh, I want to ask sort of the, 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 the big question to me, the one that I think is, is sort of the big, the, the big one. And I imagine you're sort of thinking about it a lot, but 
Subway at its peak had 27,000 restaurants in the United States, uh, approximately 2014 or so, and is down about 6,000 locations. And even after last year, which generally from a unit economics or from a unit volume perspective, yeah. certainly was a pretty good year for you. From what I keep hearing is that things have been pretty yeah. good this year too. Okay. But, you know, you still close a thousand locations and there's still a lot of restaurants and a lot of areas that either were overbuilt or poor locations or things of that nature. And they're still sort of closing. What is the is there a number? Well, first off, is there like sort of a number that is optimal for Subway going forward? And two, what is the key element for you guys? What is the most important element for you to prevent these closures from happening? Yeah, so they're, they're good questions, right? So absolutely, from where we were at our peak down to where we are today, I still think there's some workout to take place, right? We have locations, and I sort of hit on this before, you know, locations that could have been great 20, 30 years ago, but the mall is dead. You know, the strip is dead. Mm-hmm. There's, things have changed. You just wouldn't go to that area anymore. We need, those locations need to close, right? They, they still need, we still need to work those out. Um, they're not great for the brand. They're not great for the franchisee and the consumers that have deserted those, those areas, those trade areas. So, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, we've got to close some of those restaurants down. We're also looking at where do we grow? And with the closures that have taken place, Jonathan, there is white space out there. There is absolute white space out there for us to go back in. Now, we could have been either the, the site was the wrong area site within the trade area, or it could have been we just didn't have the right format. So now as we look at the white space to go back in, we're saying, could we open a drive-through here, freestanding or NCAP, right? Could we even open a location that has more of a pickup window so that you can trade later into the evening and drive delivery, et cetera? So we see that there is white space. We see there is opportunity to reconfigure the portfolio that exists today. There's opportunity to build out different formats from what we had previously or more of drive-throughs compared to what we had previously. We see that non-traditional locations like truck stops and hospitals and schools and office towers and airports, et cetera, there is huge opportunity within those um, trade sort of captured trade areas. Now, will we build a restaurant in every one of them? Maybe not. You know, now we're looking at vending machines. We're looking at kiosks. We're looking at grab-and-go stations. And the learning we're getting from those has been very, very positive. Like we've, been, we've had a really good pilot program with Love's Truck Stops, for example, where they have a – typically they would have a Subway restaurant. They also set up a grab-and-go section that is available 24-7. Um, the restaurant closes at 10 or 11 at night or something, and the grab-and-go continues on and there is business to be had there so what I, I see is that you know in terms of bricks and mortar and building our traditional subways yes we need to we will do more of that but I see there's huge upside yet in um, just the non-traditional channels that I that I spoke about for the brand right. you know delivery is it's here to stay yes you know you would you know sometimes you look at and say well it is, it is, it is, does get expensive. But when you think about the consumer, consumers are looking for convenience and that's, you have to be in that game, right? So mm-hmm. delivery is here to stay and optimizing our brand and putting ourselves, we've always had a very flexible footprint, but even being more flexible with the designs like grab and go or kiosk or vending machines, I think will open up more opportunity for Subway. So yeah, we're very, we're going back through and looking at where do we, how do we need to move mark, our market share how do we move that forward? What is the formats and designs and locations that will help us get there? So, you know, for example, if we had three subway restaurants that were, you could say they were, you know, marginal at best and they're all in sort of areas that have moved on, the trade areas have changed, 
you know, it would be better if a franchisee could find one great freestanding drive-through that did higher sales and you know we could close those two or three two or three down and have just that one really great drive-through franchisees very you know they win from a royalty uh, sort of so from an income perspective from sales and profits the brand wins we've got a stronger representation of the you know the, the subway brand and and on we go so more of that to come uh, in terms of with a number i can't give you a number like to say that's the number because I think it's going to be continually evolving, right? As as the brand moves forward into these new channels that I, I just uh, that I mentioned, but we'll also open white space with traditional subways. Mm-hmm. I wanna... And I have to say, the relocations that we do, mm-hmm. where you could go from an inline restaurant to a freestanding drive-through, and you're in the tra- same trade area, it just may have moved a block or two blocks. The the uptick in some of these locations is phenomenal. It's like, wow, why were we over there for so long? Why, why didn't we get ourselves to this location? But it's, you know, that's hard to do, right? Not every day is there a great corner site that just falls in your lap from for a, for a um, you know, from a relocation perspective. And some parts of the country, it's easier to do than others, right? The Northeast, it's hard. It's hard to find a freestanding building that you can pop right. up and, you know, the economics are difficult. But go out to like Indiana, yeah, there's, there's great opportunity, you know, to, to open those types of locations. And our, our, our team is doing that. Right, right. Imagine there's plenty of opportunity uh, in Indiana. So let me, yeah. uh, real quick, couple of things that I wanted to, first off, uh, uh, explain the vending machine. Yeah. So we've been testing some of these in um, different airports. I can give you where they are. Cincinnati is one, et cetera. And basically you have Subway sandwiches. I don't know if you've been into an Admiral's Club where American Airlines, they have sandwiches and salads. You put money in and you get it. Well, that's exactly the thing. Same thing. So Subway sandwiches, they're replaced constantly, refreshed constantly Mm -hmm. throughout the day, comes from a hub restaurant or a commissary and that they fill those machines. And guess consumers out there, they're buying them, right? So Mm -hmm. trusted brand. You know, it, you know what you're getting. Uh, it's the, that the pilot on those is working very, very well. So we're looking to expand that across other industry as well as airports. Really, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, other industry. You mean you're, you're to other places? So you, you yeah, are places, that's that right. going to be. So going it could to be, be in manufacturing plants. You know that right. sort of stuff. But yeah. Right, and the local franchisee or whatever would deliver the sandwiches and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. part of that, that setup. I know yeah. like our, our franchisee in Toronto Airport in Canada, you know, we've got, I think, three Subway restaurants there. He wants to put in another three or four, four vending machines because he knows there are areas of the airport he just doesn't, can't service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, all right, that's interesting. How many drive-throughs do you guys have approximately? Do you have any percentage or anything like yeah, that? I think a lot, like we had about, um, like we had Subway, there are drive-throughs and there are some that are like, they weren't, probably built out as, as you would say, a drive-through should have been. There's, you know, 1,500, 1,800 odd drive-throughs um, mm-hmm. that we've had um, and we're, we're seeking to open more of those, you know, fully functional drive-throughs, not just a wall with the hole cut out, but an mm-hmm. actual drive-through where you're stacking cars and you've got the whole, you know, kiosk headset system and, and working through that way. So, yeah. How much of a benefit is that when you open a drive-through after having an inline location? Well, that's where we see significant uptick in mm-hmm. terms of business, right? It's just more accessible. It's usually higher presence, the location, stronger presence, more accessible from a consumer perspective. You know, and we see, you know, maybe a third of sales, maybe sometimes a bit higher, go through the drive-through, right? And usually that is on top of where you've been, you know, in that other type of location, yeah. if not more. Yeah. Yeah. People love uh people absolutely love drive-throughs. 
It's the um, convenience factor, right? It, it's just so easy. But th there's the piece of drive-through where you, you know, obviously you go up and you order and you drive through or you drive through and pick up. You see a lot of that taking place now where delivery drivers are coming through the drive-through. They get to know, right, if this drive-through location, go through the drive-through, the order will be waiting for me there at the pickup window. So they don't even have to get out of the car, right? So it just makes it more convenient for the delivery drivers and also the, you know, the guests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really tough to find though. Those sites are not exactly easy. It's just sort of hinted at. Yeah, in different parts of the country, right? It, it there is greater opportunity. So, mm -hmm. super yeah. excellent, good. sir. Uh, this was fantastic. Really appreciate uh, you joining uh, me this week on the podcast. Hey, Jonathan, thank you so much. Stay well. Great to see you. Bye now. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek, artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you find your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Tech is where restaurants and tech connect. Discover what's now and what's next in food service technology and how it affects your business. Taking place from September 19th through 21st in Grapevine, Texas. Register today at www.fstec.com.